Thanks for listening to Mosaic, a Jesus-centered communities podcast. Our goal is to help people experience a Jesus-centered life. You can find out more about us at welcometomosaic.info. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast as well as rate and review it so others can hear it as well. Enjoy the message. Song. I love that song. It's actually my wife's favorite hymn and uh, one of my favorites as well. And great to have that in the rotation today. My name is Jeff. If I haven't had an opportunity to meet you, and it's a joy to be able to worship with you today. It's a joy to be able to teach during this time of our service. And I'm just grateful that whatever brought you in today, that you're here or whatever caused you to log on and, and get your coffee and your jammies or whatever you're doing at home right now, that you're here with us. You're as here with us as much as anybody in this room if you're at home right now or abroad. And so we're so glad that you're worshiping with us today. We are launching into a new series. It's on the book of Luke. And I'm so excited about what I believe God is going to teach us in this series together. Um, Admittedly, I have to tell you, there's been times in, in preparation over the last several weeks and actually a couple months, I've been pretty geeked out about uh, some of the stuff that we're going to go through. And uh, those of you who are around for a while know that sometimes when I get geeked out on stuff, it's like putting a quarter in me and just letting the meter run. Here we go. So I'm going to try not to do that because the truth is in this series, I really want it to be a different feel. Um, and, and, um, you know, it, Jamie was saying it earlier. I, I agree. I believe it deeply in my heart. God's doing some really special things at our church. I think as well, the world is seeing some horrible, horrific things. While some of us are experiencing some painful and challenging things, we are watching our God at work and he's at work in our lives. And sometimes we miss that. And, and I believe he's at work in any teaching series we do, but especially this one, as we walk into this book this gospel, uh, this evangelist, this historian named Luke that records this life of Jesus and more. I've just been praying fervently that God would use this in a really rich and special way. Honestly, in my own life, um, in my family's life, but in our, in our church family's life as well, and as your life individually as well. We're going to take some time this week and next week to kind of do a little bit of a flyover. I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible, you might want to start bringing it. If you don't have one, you can grab the one that's in the rack in front of you and make that your own. Take it. Um, if it gets taken, we'll replenish it with others that we have, I hope. Um, we'll have some. But the reason I say that is you might even, as we go, this week and next week, we're just going to be skimming a little bit because we're going to be really high level, 30,000 foot view. But then we're going to get in the trenches and the weeds for week after week walking through, and, and really this has the opportunity, if you will allow it, this has the opportunity to be a rich walk in your faith with Jesus if you'll lean in and experience it that way. So you might want to have a Bible, maybe like for the first time in a while. You might want to bring a journal, maybe for the first time like ever. Uh, we actually ran out of journals. We're getting some ordered. Hopefully they'll be in this week, but you can stop by any bookstore, hit Amazon and get a journal because you might find some things that will draft out or notes or quotes or key verses that connect that are going to help you in your journey. If you're new to Mosaic, you may not have heard, but this year our word is traction. As a church and as people of faith, we want to get traction in this world that is full of crazy terrain right now. I want a sustainable faith. And I want, I want a faith that has like deep tread, like on, on thick tire tread that can get through whatever terrain the world has in front of me, whatever terrain I get myself into, I want a faith that is sustainable, both for me, for you, for our kids, for our grandkids. And so that's why we're going to walk deep together for quite a while here in this. A couple of weeks ago, my wife and I, <clears throat> and some of our team actually, we were down in Orlando for uh, a church conference for a few days. 
Those of you who are far, part of the, uh, the old uh, Mennonite Brethren uh, expression, uh, Bellevue, Mennonite Brethren, it's just one of the multiple denominations we're a part of here. They provide some funds to make that possible for our team like almost every year. It's just so generous of them. It's great team building time. It's also a great time for Les and I to get away for a couple of days. We usually fly out about two or three days early just to get some sunshine, some palm trees, some humidity, and yes, some Mickey. Uh, we love, um, I'm talking about Mickey Mouse um, when I say that, so yeah. Um, <laughs> Whatever you kids. Anyway, um, but we go to Mickey and Minnie World and spend some time there. How many of you have been to Disney World and you are familiar with, you know what these are? Tell me what feature this is at. That The 3D, the Mickey's Philharmagic. Not Philharmonic, the Mickey's Philharmagic, these 3D glasses. And if you've not been there before, how many of you have never been and don't even know what I'm talking about? Oh, life is short, friends. Life is short, you're robbing yourself. Oh, I have seen this so many times, but it's so sweet every time. Even without the kids, yep, I still go to this thing. Anyway, but Mickey's Phil, our magic is they take these little clips of, you know, Aladdin or Little Mermaid or Lion King, if you like that. They seam them together into about a 20, 25-minute show. But what makes, and it's on a screen, it's got all the music around, it's amazing, like a Philharmonic choir, but it's Philharmagic. But what makes it extra special is you throw these bad boys on, and everything's in 3D. And here's what's so cool is I, I've seen it enough now. I've been in there more times than I want to probably admit. But I've seen it enough now that, yes, I still richly enjoy it. But here's what's so fun to me. And I'm not kidding. I actually took a couple pictures, but I thought it might be creepy to show them. There's a family next to me with kids and mom and dads. And I'm like with my phone. And I just like to take pictures. The, the kids who for the first time have never seen this before, and these 3D-like objects, you've seen 3D before, right? 3D objects that come like, it's like, whoa, 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 it comes like right in your face, and you got like the Little Mermaid throwing jewels and necklaces out, and, it's, and these little kids are like, ah, and Donald Duck's like floating in midair, and you're trying to grab Donald's hand and all that. And I've been there enough, I've kind of seen the story enough, I kind of get the story, I know it's not real, right? And besides being an adult, I've experienced it enough. I know it's not real. What I love, though, is even other adults down there. So I'm here with my phone. Here's mom and dad, and here's the kids. Mom and dad are doing the same thing. They're like, I mean, you can't, you're like, this can't be. I mean, this looks so real. I mean, they do such a great job at it, on and on and on. And what I love about it is watching somebody experience it for the first time. And what I'm hoping is, I, I don't have a pair of these for you today. But my hope is, as we walk through this, that you can read it along with Luke as if you're reading it for the first time. And think about what it would be like to walk in his sandals, walk on the dusty roads that he did with Jesus, with Paul, with others. And just the 3D explosion he must have been experiencing as he watched, he's down the road, and we're just watching Luke like, holy cow, this is unbelievable. I've never seen something like this. Luke would say, I grew up in a culture where was there religion and was there a lot of different things that were being worshipped and people being worshipped? Absolutely. But nothing's changed. It's kind of like today. There's a lot of people that worship a lot of things, but does it really change anything? And Luke says, something's different about this. Things have changed because of who Jesus is. And so as we walk through this, my hope is you'll be able to put these like 3D glasses on or experience it through Luke's eyes for the very first time. Luke is one of four of these New Testament historians who do all they can to capture eyewitness accounts, secondhand accounts, um, documentation, dates, all the different things that take place around the life of Jesus and those who followed him. And we are so grateful for that because when you put your faith in something or someone, what's crucial 
is the validity of that something or someone that you're putting your faith in. If you're going to put your eternity on Jesus and you're going to center your life on Jesus, which is what we're all about here at Mosaic, because we believe that's what the scripture calls us to, you better know Jesus. You better know what he stood for. You better know what his values and his, his ways were and, and what he said yes to, what he said no to, what he called us to. And so we have four historians that do that for us. I'm going to start right here with Mark. Um, all of you will know who they are. No, it's not John, Paul, Ringo, and, and uh, who's the third one? It, George, yeah, that's the one Garrett loves the most, George Harris. Um, it, it's, it's not those guys. It's another Fab Four, right? The historians of the New Testament. I'm going to start with Mark because historically we believe Mark was the first gospel. And that word gospel, interestingly enough, many scholars who have done extensive work believe Mark may have actually coined that phrase because there's no expression of it anywhere else in ancient writings, this, this genre of gospel. In Mark chapter 1, verse 1, Mark says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. The beginning of the good news. That phrase good news is the word gospel. And that good word, I'm sorry, that word gospel is the Greek word euangelion. Say that with me, euangelion. Euangelion. Yes, we're going to get some of these words going again. And if you put it up on the screen, we'll see it. Yeah, we'll throw it on the screen. You can kind of see it looks like the word evangelism or evangelist. They come from the same Greek root word. And it's the idea of sharing the good news. Or as it says there, the definition is glad tidings or joyful news, the gospel. No other historian, when you think of historical documents, Julius Caesar, some of the kings that have been of all the nations even before Jesus, you go back to Egyptian pharaohs and all that, any historical documents were more chronicles of events that took place, of edicts that were written for the nations and beyond. This is a gospel. It's good news. It's not just the story, the biography of Jesus, but it's his preaching, his proclamations, his speeches, his one-on-one -on -one interactions, his miracles. The 3D glasses, Luke is just like, oh my goodness, you have to hear. Actually, Mark is doing the same thing. This is the gospel, the good news of this one named Jesus, the Messiah. And what we're going to find is each of these four New Testament historians have a, a different audience and a little bit of a different angle that helps us to see a different perspective of who Jesus and his story is. Mark's audience is going to be the Romans. Why would that be? Because most of us believe, historically speaking, Mark ended up in Rome, may have died in Rome, at the least of which he at least worked a lot with Peter, who we believe died in Rome. And many of the stories that Peter would share were for a Roman audience, and Mark wrote for a Roman audience so that they would hear and understand the good news of Jesus. So for some examples, what do you mean? He would talk about Jewish culture and really explain in some detail some of the customs of Jewish life because the Romans wouldn't understand that. And it's very obvious that his letter is for the Romans. His focus is on the suffering Savior, I-N-G, and on authority. Now, authority kind of makes sense when you think of the Roman audience because Rome has authority over Israel during this time, and so they think they're the supreme authority, and Mark wants to make it clear, uh, no, Jesus has all authority. Let me make it really clear to you on, on, this, on this point. But the, the whole thing of a suffering Savior, what does that mean? It means he spends more time talking about the cross, about Jesus talking about the cross, about the payment, the sacrifice that Jesus will make on our behalf for our sin. He, we have to have a savior. And because of the teachings of the Old Testament and because of the cost of our sin, he suffers on our behalf. Nobody captures that of these historical records like Mark does. The second document we have, and it's really compared between Matthew and Mark, I'm sorry, between Matthew and Luke. But Matthew is what we believe was the second document, his audience 
is primarily the Jews. This is partly because with, with um, Matthew, with his lineage, he has a very f- big focus on the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He wants to show, he talks a lot, he appeals back to Old Testament prophecy and teaching about the life of Jesus to show, hey, all y'all who are part of the Jewish family, he's the fulfillment, this is the promise. You've known this since rabbinical school and you're a little kid, he's the answer, he's the answer. His audience is primarily Jewish. And what his focus uh, on that, other than that, is the promised Messiah. He is the promised one. Jesus is the answer, he's the chosen one. Then we get over here, I'm gonna skip Luke for a second, I'm gonna go to John because I want you to hear a little bit about what John's, John's audience is both, I'm just gonna shorthand, Jews and Gentiles, or those who are not of Gentile lineage. In other words, unless you have a Jewish lineage and that's your upbringing and that's your, your background, we are all Gentiles, meaning a non-Jew is a Gentile, biblically speaking, in the New Testament. John's writing for all of us. And what he's really focusing on is the person of God, or person, I'm sorry, person of Jesus. For example, I could list all these out, but he'll talk about Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the lamb of God. Jesus is the son of God. On and on, he focuses on the person. And he has so many long interaction speech stories. You think about Jesus with Nicodemus, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. First time in here, you already know that verse though, right? It comes from a lengthy, lengthy speech that Jesus has with Nicodemus or a lengthy dialogue that they have together. John records those kind of things. The woman at the well, just other long, lengthy stories that John records. And his focus is on the person of Jesus and on doctrine. This is a lot to do with belief. In fact, the first century um, early church father, Clement of Alexandria, talked about the fact that John was like a supplement to the other three. The other three are what we call synoptic gospels, Fire hydrant, giving you a lot. Synoptic, you ever heard that term, synoptic gospels? Those three, and what that means, it comes from the Latin, two, two different Latin words, optic, which, you know, visual, see, and sin, S-Y-N is that prefix that means together, like synchronized swimming or synonyms, things that sound the same or together. So we see together is what synoptics mean. If you ever heard that term, that's what that means. And all three of these, and we'll just throw Luke on here and I'll fill it in in just a moment. These three have a very similar feel in capturing the story of Jesus. Some capture from different angles. Some have other different eyewitness accounts. Some have other stories altogether, but for the most part, they have a very similar feel. Clement of Alexandria, Alexandria argued, and many theologians kind of agree that this idea that this is a supplemental. In other words, John says, I want you to learn the doctrine behind it, not just a historical, wow, 3D glasses moment, but this is how it works. This is what it means underneath it all. So that's what John provides. What about this one named Luke, though? This is the story we're going to read through. And Luke's audience, you'll see, and we're going to get more into this next week, Luke's audience is this name Theophilus. We'll talk again more about who that is and what that means next week. But the main message, get this, love this. If you don't get anything else in this series, you're going to get tired of hearing this phrase or you're going to be transformed by hearing this phrase. But I hope you'll be transformed. The main message of Luke is that Jesus is for everyone. And we're we're going to unpack that for weeks and weeks and actually months. But Jesus is for everyone. And there's some reasons why Luke is the author and, the, and the, the, um, the deliverer of this message because, and I'll tell you one right off the bat, the only person on this list, in fact, the only New Testament writer that was not a Jew is Luke. He's a Gentile. We believe he grew up in Athens, potentially, in Greece. 
You were surrounded by religion. Oh yeah, but nothing had changed. Jesus, wow. He not only believed in Jesus, the truth of who he was, but he began to believe that the story of Jesus was for him and it was for everyone. So Luke spent so much time talking about uh, the compassion of Christ and the power of Christ. In that, he affirms over and over. Again, we're going to pack more of that starting next week. But he affirms both the humanity of Jesus. He was all man. And the power affirms the divinity of Jesus. He is all God. And many, um, many Bible scholars will use terms like Luke's writing is some of the most beautiful writing that has ever been written. When you get in the original Greek, he is so well studied, so well written, so well educated. It's incredible. And he just unpacks beautifully this case study of the divinity, the God part of who Jesus is, and also the humanity. He's one of us. And so he's for us. Now there's a wrinkle here that we'll talk about in just a second. Luke actually is just volume one of what uh, Luke wrote. What's volume two? Acts. Some of you already know, volume two is the book of Acts. We'll talk about that in just a second. But in the book of Acts, if you'll compare, and I'll give you one last thought on this. If Luke is about Jesus for everyone, the book of Acts is Jesus to everyone. And it's about the church, the followers of Jesus, banding together no matter what the cost, no matter what it took, doing all they could to spread the good news of Jesus to everyone. Luke is so transformed by this message It impacts virtually every page, every section of every story that he captures. And we'll see that in weeks and months to come. So grateful for the historical account. And maybe this will help you when you look in the Bible. Why do we have four different writers? Why do we have these different gospels? There were different audiences at the time. And the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God guided them to give different perspectives, different aspects of who Jesus is, not just for then, but also for now, so that we would be able to read and understand different aspects of who Jesus is. Luke, in capturing this essence of Jesus for everyone, I would tell you right now a verse that I want to encourage you to memorize in this series. We're going to call back to it a lot because I think it's the key verse in the book of Luke. It's it's in chapter 19, verse 10. Familiar to many of us. It's the verse, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. It seems like Luke has this whole passion for the life of Jesus and capturing that Jesus came to seek and to save. He is proactive. He does the work coming to us and he does it with a purpose to save us, to set us free, to give us life eternal. That message is for everyone. That's kind of the overview, like a nutshell of, if you will, of where Luke's gospel, where Luke's good news story of Jesus fits in the whole arc of all of this. In fact, by the way, I want to do something just real quick. Um, During this series, it could be months, if you are an artist of any kind, paint, drawing, poetry, ceramic, make, you know, clay, whatever, you got a potter's wheel at home and you can do whatever you do, all of it. I mean, anything, writing a song, whatever it is, I would love multiple, multiple, multiple expressions of that verse. Um, Again, it was Luke 19, 10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. I'd love 
to just enlist you, empower you right now, would you just pray about like, is there some kind of a creative expression, painting, watercolors, drawing, pen art, whatever it is, graphics art on the computer. What we'd love to do is have like an artist installment over near Broken Pieces that for weeks and months and months to come, we would just, if you, with your permission, we'd love to be able to display them so that others can be impacted and enjoy it as well. And we might even feature some of them in the service in the weeks and months to come. So if you're interested in doing that, let me know. Uh, you can email info at welcometomosaic.com and just say, hey, I'm in on that. It'll be a couple months before my piece is ready, but I'm going to start praying about that. Love to have artistic expressions because, oh, by the way, one of the things we know about Luke is he was an introvert. It's expressly clear. I'll talk about that in just a second and we'll talk about it in the weeks to come, but he is an introvert. And rather than using outward a lot of words like I do, an extrovert, he uses pen and art. Some historians actually believe he was a painter as well as being a doctor and just very accomplished, but he expressed himself in poetic language and poetic words rather than verbally. He never first person references himself. He never talks about his own accomplishments. It's all from an introvert's perspective, which I want to say that if you're an introvert today, which is a lot of our church, you have a voice. That's one of the things we hear and experience from Luke, and we need to hear that. We need to experience that. So if you have a, as an introvert or an extrovert for that matter, if you have an artistic expression, we'd love to benefit from that. But when we think about Luke and we look at some of what he did, uh, some of Luke's writing encompasses more writing in the New Testament than any other writer, including Paul. Luke is, is the one that's accountable for 28% of the New Testament writing. Can you believe that? 28% of the, I'm sorry, yeah, New Testament, I almost said Old Testament. 28% of the writing in the, in the New Testament is attributed to Luke. And we're super grateful for it because of his writing. We not only get a picture of what Jesus did and what he taught his disciples, but we get an idea of, of what uh, Jesus did uh, in teaching the disciples to spread the church. And then the disciples, the acts of the apostles take and expand the church. Uh, all throughout the region and beyond, even where Jesus was during his time. It's timed out on me. Let me set this up again. There we go. In fact, if you were to um, pick up Luke today, like if he was sitting here today and he was sitting at a desk, he'd probably look something like this and he'd have books all over the place. He was a studious person. He was somebody that was a doctor. He had a stethoscope laying around. He was a physician. We know that because of some of the stuff that we learned from Paul. Uh, in fact, it says in Colossians chapter four, our dear friend Luke, the doctor, sends greetings. These, there's only like three or four verses in the entire New Testament that even mention Luke's name. And I'm just gonna mention a couple of them real quick. This is one Paul talks about our dear friend Luke. He's a traveling companion with Paul on many, many trips. And Philemon, that one that little book, it's got like one page, it doesn't even get a chapter, it just has a couple of verses. Philemon verses 23 and 24, Paul says, my fellow prisoners in Christ send you greetings. And so does Luke, my fellow worker. Again, he had a lot of interaction with Luke. Second Timothy chapter four, verse 11, only Luke is with me. Again, Paul on multiple different times referencing. One thing to reference about that Philippians, I'm sorry, the Philemon passage and the second Timothy passage, why reference those? Because both of those are written from a jail cell. We believe both of those are written from Rome where Paul is imprisoned with others, including Luke. And it's likely historically most, we don't know exactly how Luke died, but most biblical scholars believe he was executed in Rome as Paul was also executed in Rome. Lot, lot to journey through in Luke and even maybe potentially in the book of Acts, but you can kind of start to see the arc. It's like putting a puzzle together and you can see where the story drops off and where historically we understand that Paul and most likely Luke was also executed. This man was no fool. This man was not poor. 
This man was not desolate. He was not a beggar of any kind. He was probably very wealthy. Again, he was a doctor, a physician. Indications from his writing, he was well-educated, well-read, well-versed in historical documents and historical matters, in cultural matters across multiple different nations. And yet he pulls up stakes and for many years follows after Paul in doing all he can to help document, chronicle, and spread the news of who Jesus is. If Luke was with us today, instead of it being like the book of Luke and the book of Acts separated out, which can be a little confusing. It's like, why, is, why isn't like Luke and Acts next to each other, like volume one and volume two? That's what it would be today. Why is it spread out like that? Well, if we, if we were around today and he was today, we'd probably have like this leather bound collector's edition of volume one and volume two today. But church history throughout the years put more value on that order. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and sequentially put it that way, four stories of Jesus, and then the story of the church. That's why the story of Acts, he's the only one that documents the whole arc of the church spreading through the preaching of Peter and the preaching of Paul. So they kind of get separated out, but if you think about Luke, he's the only historian, the only one that captures the essence of Jesus's life and teaching and the life and teaching of the New Testament writers. In fact, you could put it this way. There's a t-shirt I've, I've, I've seen at the, uh, at the gym when I go and exercise, work out. There's a t-shirt I've seen this lady wear all the time. And she says, I can, I will, I did. You ever seen that t-shirt? Anybody got that? It's like, man, it's just like that motivation, right? I can, I will, and I did. That's what, you know, that when you're working out, that's the whole thing. This is what we would say, Paul, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Luke would say to us, we can, we are, and we do, because Jesus is. We, we can, this is Jesus for everyone. We can do this. We are a part of this because Jesus offers this good news for everyone. And we do this. That's what the whole book of Acts is about. Why? Because this is who Jesus is. And that's kind of the, uh, the essence. If you wanted to put a t-shirt for the book of Luke, uh, what it's all about. After Luke goes on about a 12-year journey 12 years he spends with Paul and goes on multiple missionary journeys. There's little fragments that he captures. There's fragments that we pick up from other letters. Luke spends 12 years of his life helping Paul, Timothy, uh, others, John Mark, others just spread the good news of Jesus, planting church everywhere. And everywhere they go, Luke's got pen and paper documenting everything so that we can have the story together. After about 12 years of that, Paul decides, or God leads Paul back to Jerusalem. Now, I mentioned earlier, Luke is the only one of that list over there that is not a Jew. There's likelihood that Luke has never been to Jerusalem in his life. In fact, when you look again, it's like piecing a puzzle together. When you look at some of the story, it looks like Paul picked up Luke somewhere in Greece. He had never been in Israel before, let alone Jerusalem, as far as we can tell from the historical records. And you got to think about him with his three, I threw him down there, the 3D glasses, just going into Jerusalem. All the stories that I've heard, all the stories of where Jesus did this, where Jesus experienced this. He starts meeting some of the key characters that he's heard. And again, this is written, you know, 25 years or so, maybe 30 years after Jesus has ascended to heaven is when Luke penned this document. But no doubt, many of the leaders of the church, many of the people that Jesus told these parables and stories to, many of the people that Jesus healed are still alive or their children are still alive and part of the church of Jerusalem and beyond. In fact, it says in Acts 21, when they arrived in Jerusalem, that um, he got to meet some of the church leadership. Uh, when we arrived, the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem welcomed us warmly. And the next day, Paul went with us to meet with James. You know who James is? He's the brother of Jesus. 
And now he's one of the key leaders in the church in Jerusalem. We met with James and all the other elders of the Jerusalem church who were present. That's incredible. I mean, think what Luke must have been experiencing. He's had this faith, this unbelievable news of who Jesus is brought to him into his city and his story. He's been spreading it, but now he gets to go. He's never, there's no historical record of Luke ever meeting Jesus face to face. It's all been secondhand or even thirdhand, but now he needs to go into the city where he walked, talk to his brother, talk to other leaders who had followed firsthand with Jesus. Talk to men and women, maybe children, maybe the little boy who had the five loaves and two fish is now a grown man and is telling the story. And Luke is going all throughout the city, meeting at the church, meeting these leaders, hearing the stories of Jesus. It just blows his mind. And all he can do is just with notepads and legal pads and everything together, continue to scribe. And he opens up a chair and says, please sit here. Give me your eyewitness account of what you saw Jesus do. That parable, what did he say? What did he talk about? During this time, just real quick version here, Paul um, is giving an update on what's happened in the churches. It's expanded everywhere. It's amazing. They're in Jerusalem for just a short period of time that Paul is there. And he's misrepresented of truth. Some people start saying some wrong things about things they had heard that Paul had said. Really short version here. As a result, a riot starts to break out. Luke seems to be clear of it. But Paul is imprisoned and he's sent away to Caesarea Maritima. You can go there today, friends. It's just one of the coolest archaeological sites to go to if you've never seen it. You can look it up online. But Caesarea Maritima, there's, there's placards there. There's ruins there that are just amazing it's, it's incredible to go there. And he's in prison. Paul is in prison there for two years. Paul makes an appeal to Caesar over Rome. And because Paul is a Roman citizen, he's able to do that. He gets an audience with, in Rome with Caesar. And he ends up going to Rome. Paul will, I'm sorry, Luke will join him again. Where, where's Luke during this whole two years that Paul is imprisoned? Luke is in Jerusalem. Luke is in Jerusalem interviewing, asking, walking the streets, praying, trying to capture, he's lining up data and dates and details and syncing them all up together. And it's here in Jerusalem during that two-year period that most Bible scholars believe that Luke sat there and grabbed a pen and grabbed notes and took all of his files and all of the research he had done and all of the things together and he began to write these words. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They've used the eyewitness reports that are circulating among us from the early disciples, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so that, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything that you've been taught. During that two-year period, Luke has had the 3D glasses on and has become overwhelmed and, and more and more aware of the story of this one named Jesus. He's, he's sat with the chair filled with men and women, children, boys and girls, people who had been possessed by demons, people who had been healed, disciples who had followed him, disciples who had betrayed him. And he's interviewing the brother of Jesus. Where did, Jesus, where did Luke get the whole lineage of where Jesus was born in his story? He talks to his brother and gets the whole story. And he captures that for us. 
He sat there and week after week and year after year, Luke would sit there and get the stories and walk through and hear from, from other eyewitnesses. In fact, there's some stories that only Luke captures for us that the others don't. The story of the good Samaritan, it's in Luke. The story of um, the prodigal son, Luke captures that story. People who had heard that parable and he matches up all the stories and captures that in the essence of that for us. The story of those guys on the road to Emmaus, I can't help but think he had these guys sitting here and saying, you will not believe we saw the resurrected Christ. And all that while, Luke is just with 3D glasses, just, I can't, this is huge. I've got to capture this. I've got to capture those for Theophilus and for anyone else who would read this document. One of the uh, unique attributes of Luke's writing, Luke talks about Jesus's interaction and contact with women more than the other three writers combined. I can't help but think it was because Jesus, Jesus is for everyone was a heartbeat of Luke. And culturally speaking, that was a, a big deal back then. Women were not valued, neither were children in the way that we do today. Jesus flipped that upside down. Jesus showed a different way and Luke captures that. Can you imagine the women who sat there and now their stories have been captured in the story of Luke. All these stories, these interactions that Jesus showed value and love and belief in the life of women, in the life of children, in the life of all. Because Jesus is for everyone. Luke compiles all these stories. He matches like a forensic analysis. He, he matches it all up. He's a doctor. He's detailed. He's well-educated. He's passionate about truth and accuracy. And he puts it together. And he says, I have done all of the work. I've researched all of it from the beginning. And I too want to put this accurate account for you so that you can have confidence in what you've been taught about this one named Jesus grateful for Luke today, yeah? This is why he wrote this. This is why we have this document along with many others that point to the historical accuracy and the historical record of who Jesus is. Now, I'm going to close with just a couple quick thoughts and we'll be singing out and we'll be done for this morning. But you might be sitting there thinking, wow, again, yeah, Jeff, you geek out a little bit and you got a lot of stuff. I hope you captured 20% of that. I hope it inspires you, it stirs you, because every time I spend a little bit of time in the scripture and I start, these are legit books of mine that I just kind of go through and cross-reference and I got the Mac open and I'm trying to understand and study, I get my heart just exploded. It's like, once again, I've got 3D glasses on. I'm like, I can, I can touch it. You go to the Philhar Magic and there's smells that they spray in the air. There's like a pie that they hold up, poof, you know, and, and you can smell the pie. And they actually spray water at you a couple of times. You got all your senses. I'm like, I can smell, I can touch, I can taste. It's real. It's like when you get into the scriptures again, it just comes alive once again. And that's part of why the Bible is our roadmap here at Mosaic. Oh, friend, would you please get yourself immersed in the story of Jesus just in the book of Luke? Would you just spend some time, start looking through some chapters, take a couple chapters a week and just start going through the story and start understanding familiar passages. Look at them again with new glasses on. And you might say, why does all of this matter? Luke was an introvert. Who cares? These guys all wrote it differently. Who cares? All this stuff, he did all this research. He was in Acts 21, said this, and they were traveling, and Paul went there. Who cares? What does this all matter, Jeff? Can I tell you why this matters? Because you and I desperately need this. We desperately need a Jesus that is for everyone. Luke was an outsider. We'll talk about that in a second, but Matthew, Mark, and John, they all, Matthew and John knew Jesus. Mark, we don't have any indication that Jesus and Mark ever interacted together. These two guys didn't know him, but they all captured different aspects of Jesus that you need. The story of Jesus is not just a Bible story. 
The story of Jesus is the story. We don't have, and Andy Stanley just said something like this recently, like we don't have a book just so we can kind of capture stories of Jesus. Jesus is the book from cover to cover. In the beginning, Jesus is the forecast. To the very last page in Revelation, it's going back to Jesus. Is it? We need this. This is why this all matters because the validity of your faith is determined by the accuracy and truth of your faith and the one that you put your faith in. And so we just, man, we, we need a Messiah. We need a God who has been faithful and kept his promises throughout the Old Testament. Matthew tells us about this one named Jesus who is the fulfillment of that. We need a savior who would pay for the sins of our world, who would suffer on my behalf and on yours. And if you just accept and believe that he has done that for you and he is the savior not only of the world, but he can be the savior of your own life. Your life can be changed forever. His authority, all authority under heaven and earth is under my hand and under my rule, Jesus would say. Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark recorded all of that for us. We need that. We need that kind of God. We need that kind of savior. John records the person of Jesus. He's the word of God. The eternal word, the timeless one. He's the lamb of God, the sacrifice of God. He's the son of God. He is God himself. We need that. And John records that for all of us. And then, oh, Luke. Luke records this story and he sends it to an individual. More on that next week. But he sends it to an individual telling this story in great detail. I've gone to the beginning. I've researched all of it. I've done interviews, eyewitness accounts, and I have captured an accurate report so that you can believe this news that Jesus is for everyone. And then in volume two, I'll tell you how we took Jesus to everyone. We need this because Jesus is the story of the Bible. The whole thing encompasses him and you need every aspect of what each of these historians bring. And then one last thing, I already referenced it. What's neat about Luke, you know what Luke has in common with us he never met Jesus face to face. He didn't get to grab lunch or grab coffee with Jesus and pepper him with questions or listen to him firsthand. He didn't get to watch Jesus' miracles. Neither have we firsthand like that, right? But Luke was no idiot. Well-educated, wealthy, doctor, well-accomplished, well-regarded. And he did the work. He studied it. He researched it. He did the interviews and he kept matching up the data and the dates and like a forensic FBI agent, he just went through and put it together and he put the glasses on and started realizing this is so much bigger. So it's, I've got to put this down so that everybody knows this isn't just a message for the Jews. This isn't just a message for this time in history. This is Jesus for everyone. And Luke was able to capture that as an outsider. I love this about Luke. Luke is a letter written by an outsider and it's written for outsiders. That's me. That's you. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like you're the outside looking in? I do. I think all of us do at different times. And the good news of Jesus, especially, especially captured by Luke, is that Jesus is not just for the insiders. He's for everyone, including the outsiders. Luke began to realize that this message of Jesus is true. And this message of Jesus is not just true. Luke would say, it's true for me. And if Luke could say it was true for him, it can also be true for you because this is Jesus for everyone. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for in your providence, you lay it on the heart of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, others to capture the story of this one named Jesus, even during a time period 
where most people couldn't even write. There was not literacy. People couldn't read or write. It was all oral tradition. You had just the right people at just the right place who could capture the true essence of who Jesus is. It's all centered on him. People of intellect, people who were well-versed, people who were well-regarded and who did the work and who did the detail and capture in beautiful lyric and beautiful words the story of who Jesus is. I thank you for, in particular, as we walk through Luke's, this, this message that Jesus, you are for everyone. I pray even right now for friends online, friends in this room that maybe have not placed their faith. Maybe today their eyes have been opened. Maybe just like Luke experienced and had the 3D glasses that this is more than just a name in print. This is more than just a holiday or two that we show up every once in a while each year. This is a real individual who really walked on earth, who really did this, who died for me, who really loves me, who really is for me because he's for everyone. Maybe there's some people today who are hearing that for the first time. I pray that right now in this moment, they would just respond and say, I believe in Jesus. I will follow Jesus. I will make you the leader of my life. I will center my life on you. And if that's you right now, that's all you do. The scripture just tells us if you will call on the name of Jesus, you can be saved. And God, we would just rejoice as heaven does anytime someone gives their life to you. So for any and all that have just done that, we rejoice with them. Because of the truth that we read in scripture, because of the truth of who you are, we have committed ourselves as a church, as a family, to do all we can, not just to celebrate Jesus for everyone, but do what we can to bring Jesus to everyone. And so let us be that here at Mosaic, God. In your name, we pray this. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We invite you to connect with us. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do so at welcometomosaic.com slash give. Have a great week.